Hi, I am Chitra. I am Madhvi. I am Jyoti. I am Suchitra. Together, we are your hosts on the Edge Podcast. We bring you stories and experiences from our experiments around learning, marketing, and design. These are stories of people, technology, and people interacting through technology. Of what we see, create, and recommend. Repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth is a law of propaganda commonly heard. Psychologists call this the illusion of truth effect. Repetition has a power to make things sound more true even when we know differently. In this episode, we talk about how this phenomenon plays out in our daily lives as well as in the field of UX and how do we be aware of the illusory truth effect. Hello everybody and welcome to the Edge podcast. This is the second episode in our UX and Cognitive Biases series, Rarely Rational. I am Jyoti and today joining me in exploring people's decision-making abilities is Chitra, my co-host. Hi, Chitra. Hey, hi, Jyoti. By the way, Rarely Rational is such an apt title for the <laughs> series. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Great. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun figuring out... Uh, cognitive biases and thinking why we think or why how we make decisions the way we make and that's why I thought you know uh, during my uh, research for these episodes we are rarely rational (laughs) oh yes oh yes I think you can say that again (laughs) right so I thought this was a good uh, title for our series okay so let me uh, start with a small game Chitra Okay. okay, this is exciting. I, I wonder how a game is going to appear to listeners on a podcast, but lead yeah, the way, Jyoti. Right. Yeah, so um, I will give you three words and you need to come up with something that connects those three words quickly. Like, you know, uh, don't take too much time to think. Something that probably just bounces off the top of your head. Okay. Okay. Okay, okay here goes. Elephant house snow something that connects these three words or a word that you can associate white white oh that's great (laughs) right white elephant a white house and snow white yeah Uh, shall i ask another set of uh, words like that sure this is this is getting interesting black bulletin and chalk board I didn't even yeah. think that. I just said black, and the first thing that came to my mind was blackboard. Oh uh, yeah, that was. And quick. I think it fits. <laughs> that was quick, quicker than the first one, right? So, how do you think this association happened, or what was your thought process behind this? Actually, for the second one, there was no thought process. I was just all, you know, excited to get into this game, and I said board. But I think this is a good example. Is uh, you know they say that thinking is faster than lightning. So I guess it just happened that way. There was this whole feeling of, uh, wow, it, it felt so good to have. Like a small win that you got. You yeah. Know, right. Yeah. It came. Uh, exactly. And made me feel really good that I knew about it. But hey, Jyoti, I have a question for you now. Okay. Okay. So what's your favorite song? Um, Levitating by Dua Lipa. That's like <laughs> my current uh, favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> so how many times would you say you've listened to it? 
Oh, a thousand times. I mean, it's there <laughs> almost every day. So, so it must be like this very friendly earworm that's with you all the time. Yeah, it it does feel like that. Mm. I mean, it's not really on the the top of the charts currently, but somehow, uh, over the last few days, that came up in my playlist, and I've been listening to it over and over. <laughs> yeah you just can't seem to let go which is which also leads me to uh, think about this this uh, little thing that i read recently you know and it said that uh, the more people listen to a song it's likely to feature on the top of their playlists uh, and i'm even wondering if that's fair to all you know song creators writers and producers oh, and yeah. uh, you know if you look at all the awards uh, that are given out internationally for the best songs yes. at the end of the day it's the most listened to song right i mean on the one sense you can get the idea that yes that's the most popular one but it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that the others are bad yeah for some reason this this particular song the one which won the award was her listened to a lot more times right yeah so you were asking about you know the association that that was uh, happening in the first place it literally for me it came out of nowhere but i'm sure that if i look back at the questions that you asked these are associations that formed so early on in life in fact when in the second series of connecting words the minute you said black and chalk the only thing that came to my mind was bored and very quickly the memory was back when i was in school which was several several decades ago so i think these associations are uh, formed very early on in life and um, once these associations are formed Uh, the cognitive part of our brain is able to very quickly recall and um, you know build that association so i don't even think that there was a thought process behind it so yeah you were just merely exposed to the the board in this case right so many yeah. times in your life that it was just effortless for you to even come up with it yeah, right yeah and even the second set right where you said uh, elephant house and snow we always listen to the story of snow white snow white and the seven dwarfs yeah um you know what a white elephant is and of course the uh, white house is pretty ubiquitous given the amount of information that comes to us yeah on it so yeah that was a fairly easy association as well so, so in fact uh, with respect to your song jyoti uh, reminds me of of something i think that that falls on the lines of something like a repeated stimulus but we'll come to that later okay so uh, we live in you know times of information abundance right the amount of information that we consume or content we consume every day is so much that behavioral economists have termed us cognitively lazy right <laughs> there is a term called cognitively lazy because all we do is just consume content without really giving it a second thought and that's what leads us to make decisions in our judgments we might make mistakes in our day to day decisions that we make and that's because we rely on something called heuristics right that is mental shortcuts and so these shortcuts more or less make us take wrong decisions so what do you think makes us cognitively lazy <laughs> yeah i think i think it also goes back to the association 
right? Once you uh, form those associations and they, they sit rather deeply, I think, and, and that's your own process of discovery also, because uh, technically, I mean, a heuristic is a way of learning, uh, which allows you to discover something. And uh, if we go back to the example of three words, uh, the association of that single word with the three others is, is something that is so deeply formed. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, it just gives you the, the wow feeling and you feel so good that you were able to associate it in that way and get the right answer that uh, I think that's what makes us lazy or cognitively lazy. Yeah, being at ease with, what do you say, cognitive abilities not really making an effort to think critically, I think is like our default human brain. Uh, that's the way of working, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think it's becoming more and more ominous in today's world, simply because of what you said, Jyoti, the amount of information that's around us, we, we are bombarded. And I also think that, you know, maybe we can talk about this in a later episode is how do we deal with the information overload? Uh, but I think that is also largely contributing to the fact that the brain is defaulting to what it knows already, what it feels comfortable with, rather than exercising critical thinking and therefore making choices post that critical thinking, you know. Yeah. So another term that I came across is, uh, says that we are cognitive misers. Huh. <laughs> or maybe the law of conservation of energy applies to what we really choose to think about or be discreet about rather than, you know, taking the easy way out. So, um, you know, one thing that comes to my mind is uh, when I was growing up in the mid 80s, through the mid 90s, we pretty much had only one television channel in this country, right? But the the nice part is all the ads that people saw, I mean, the entire country saw the same set of ads, and we had some really creative jingles come out in the day that all of us remember even today. Yeah. And there is there is a lot of association with the ad, the visualization, the songs, the product, you know. So I, I think advertisement is also a good way of just repeating the same thing, repeating the same thing. Yeah, I think washing powder nirma is like the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And yeah, there are a whole lot of them, like the Complan ad and the, you know, the Bajaj lighting. Yeah, I think so we can have a separate episode on... Uh... <laughs> ads back in the day <laughs> yes certainly so you know the one more thing that we wanted to talk about today the one of the effects of us being cognitively lazy or uh, being miserly with using our better cognitive powers is happening is manifesting a lot through what we commonly known as fake news right and an example of misinformation of fake news Recently, I came across, you know, the Commonwealth Games recently concluded. Mm -hmm. And during the Commonwealth Games, a very, very famous Indian athlete was participating in one of the athletic events. And suddenly that day, or rather after the event was conducted and the final was yet to be conducted, there was a video of hers that was circulating on WhatsApp saying that she had won the gold medal for that particular event. And for a while, I, I received that video through three or four messages, different messages. And in each one of the messages, 
people in the group were actually congratulating her on having won the medal. And then suddenly something struck me as odd about that video clip because it never said anything about the location or what the games were about. It was just a clip that showed her running in the last uh, maybe 10 or 15 seconds of the event where incidentally she did win a gold in that event, but it was not in the Commonwealth Games. It had happened a few years earlier. But I realized that in I was so caught up in the excitement of India winning so many medals during these games that I thought that this had actually happened, uh, that she had won the event, whereas the finals hadn't even taken place, you know. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this is, this is, I think, a good illustration of uh, the illusory truth effect, uh, or also what's commonly known as the illusion of truth. And that's the cognitive bias that we are talking about today. And uh, it's how when we hear the same information that gets repeated again and again, we come to believe that that's true. And, you know, even though we feel people should know better than to believe this kind of information. It happens, right? So in simple terms, people are more likely to believe something the more often it's repeated to them. Because with repetition, it's that much easier for the human mind to process a statement compared to other ideas or other visuals that are competing that have not been repeated again and again. Yeah, I think this also reminds me of something called the mere exposure effect. By being exposed to a particular fact or information, many number of times you start processing it more easily or uh, keeping aside all your critical thinking hats you just believe it more easily right just because you're exposed to a particular piece of information more number of times yes and in fact you know another example about fake information or misinformation and how people believed it was during the pandemic given that we knew very little about this virus any and every little piece of information that was coming out during that time seemed to be going viral, you know, with more and more people, you know, cooped up or locked up inside their homes. It just made it, I think, that much easier for people to believe what they were receiving on what we uh, sarcastically and popularly call WhatsApp University to be able to believe something about this disease or the way it was working or what kind of effects it was having on people to be the absolute source of truth, isn't it? Yeah, re repetition is like the key to just getting people to accept your message. Yeah, <laughs> it seems to be quite easy these days. Especially with our varied uh, platforms of social media that we have. So uh, one of the objectives of this podcast is to also show the importance of how this knowledge in, you know, uh, behavioral psychology or human behavior patterns is useful in the field of user experience, right? So how do you think this illusory truth effect can play out in user research? Can user researchers, can they be aware of this bias? I think that's a, that's a very interesting question and an important one, given that these uh, four episodes that we're looking at are meant to help UX researchers. So one thing I can think of is, uh, let's take an example. And uh, let's imagine a group of, let's say, three or five UX user experience researchers talking to a group of senior citizens 
about their online banking experience. Now, we know that, uh, you know, the, a good majority of senior citizens, at least in this country, are not very trusting of digital banking, right? They're very used to having walked into a bank and getting their banking work done there. So this group of researchers is trying to find out what their pain points are. So how do you go about it? So one of the commonly used techniques in user experience research is to apply the five whys, where in a conversation with a potential user or a customer, and when you're trying to understand their empathize with them and discover what their needs are, discover what their pain points are, you uh, use the five whys to ask them questions with a why to try and see how far you can go with identifying what the problem is. So you let's say you start by asking, uh, what is it that they find difficult? And most people don't tell you that answer very directly. But let's say the first answer you get is, I find it hard to figure out where to log in on my banking portal. And let's say this is the response that everyone gets. And let's say as one UX researcher, you say, why is that? And maybe they come back with a response saying, I just can't find it. And let's say the five UX researchers get back together and they all come to the conclusion that senior citizens are finding it hard to locate where to log in on the bank. Hmm. So one question is how many of them actually went further, right, to find out why they found it difficult? Why do they think it's difficult to find out? And especially when these conversations are happening on the, over the phone, uh, it's harder to stay in the conversation or even visualize why this person is finding it hard to log in. Right. So you're more likely to come away with those first two answers rather than, you know, going deep, uh, making more of an effort or trying a different set of questions to get to what really is the problem. So as you UX researchers, you might come back to uh, the design team and say, oh, they're just finding it difficult to locate. But can you go further in that conversation? So in, in some sense, uh, you have fallen in line with what we also call the fluency effect. Okay, So that's one instance where I can see it can impact user researchers, where it could, it could prevent you from going a lot deeper into user research to really find out what the problems are. Right. So how is a fluency effect kind of affecting the researchers here? Is it because it's easier to just provide online survey or a questionnaire with number of questions? It, you're saying it's easier for the user researchers to do go that way than actually put a lot more effort in going deeper into figuring out why those answers were answered by the uh, senior citizens, right? So it's I think if people are hearing the same thing, right, enough of times, it's that you tend to believe that that is, uh, you know, what it is. Right. Okay. If there are a lot of users who've probably given the same type of answer and you see the same information again and again as a user researcher, you think, okay, the people are finding it difficult to find the login button and that's the problem. And so you just go and give it away to the design team. You are not really making an effort to understand why the login button is being 
difficult to be found out right yeah yeah no and and also i think it's about so a lot of people are also you know more likely to make a judgment or a decision based on their gut reaction right the or their first reaction that they receive so this is more this also falls in line with that so it feels like it's fluent right the response that they're getting from the customers feels like it's fluent mm-hmm. that's right? that's what makes the processing easier yeah so uh, in fact in in the ux research there's a method of heuristic evaluation mm-hmm. but in 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 uh, like you said earlier a heuristic is actually another way of saying a mental shortcut right. and i think it's because there are so many decisions that probably somebody has to make rather than thinking of all the pros and cons or in this case trying to explore other ways of getting to really what the problem is we tend to feel that our minds are getting overloaded and so we default to making a decision based on what we are uh, first hearing so in this case do you think having a third party conduct a ux audit for a particular product uh, can be more beneficial to avoid say common pitfalls uh, that's definitely one way of looking at it uh, in fact but there again right if you let's say this is based on a recent experience uh, of a ux audit that we did for a company that was offering cloud solutions and mm-hmm. uh, we went in as the ux audit team and uh, i noticed something right initially when we were given a sandbox to play around and figure out the workflows in the system uh, without let's say being biased by the internal engineers view of how this whole system could be provisioned and configured we saw a lot of gaps in the workflows in the uh, ease of configuration Uh, in the ease of provisioning the look and feel the navigability uh, the interaction with the system and so on and we were able to come up with a lot of points right or suggestions of how things could be improved mm-hmm. whereas as we started to have more conversations with the team inside uh, i began to notice that they had got used to configuring and provisioning certain workflows in a particular way so it was hard for them to see how it would be difficult for an external person to configure the system and therefore the heuristics are also indicators that are used to make quick judgments so in this case they were rather than conducting a very complex analysis and in this case once you've already built the system you have customers using it you are not able to step away from that system and look at it objectively to see how workflows can be improved how you can make things simpler and easier for your customers becomes a little difficult because every time your uh, earlier association is coming into play mm. okay and uh, especially in in the system that we were looking at the complexity was driven by the environment by the number of configuration parameters by the number of roles that people would be playing in the system the accessibility security so many dimensions so mm-hmm. to your question jyoti yes uh, conducting a third party ux audit can be beneficial uh, but it's also it's also important to keep that objectivity through 
throughout the course of the project. So I think one of the things that people can do is definitely have an open mind and become aware of the fact that like at one point in time during this project, I was asking myself, um, I think I've got very used to this workflow. So I'm not able to see what the alternative could look like. Mm-hmm, yeah. If there was a better way of doing something. So I think being mindful of that all the time uh, would certainly be helpful to a team that's doing a UX audit. So how is it that, uh, you know, UX researchers can avoid the illusory truth effect and, you know, falling into the trap of fluency? So I would say two things is definitely knowing about these biases can be helpful, just being aware of them. Uh, the second point being that when as a in UX research or in user experience design, always try to take a step back and not come under the influence of something becoming very fluent. So which also calls for a lot of vigilance, I would say, on the on the individual's part to see if, hey, is why is my mind always going in this direction? So when you find yourself doing that, pause, take a step back and say, okay, let me start again, or probably step away from it, or, you know, find somebody to whom you can explain this, preferably somebody who knows nothing about it, say, illustrate with an example and say, hey, if you had to do this and uh, this is how you had to navigate it. Does this make sense? Okay. So try to bounce it off of another person. And at the same time, I think getting familiar with what these biases are is also very helpful. Just being aware of this kind of a human behavior pattern exists itself, you know, goes a long way, at least for me in the past few weeks of researching for this podcast itself is making me aware of the way that I make decisions are all just uh, mental shortcuts that I take. (laughs) Yeah, and I can can empathize with that situation because today I think we a couple of things here as well, right? We are flooded with so much information and we're constantly having to take decisions so it definitely gets tiring and and the second thing is we all also seem to be rushing through the day i would like to say you know try and just do one thing at a time um that whole thing of our mind launching multiple threads at any given point in time uh, it's also it, it also renders you inefficient so you'd rather spend time with one thing focus only on that one thing and then i think you'll be able to observe it critically in fact uh, somewhere i read that some of the best scientists or analytical minds uh, often when you look at their faces uh, you know they look very grumpy or very serious <laughs> <laughs> you rarely see them smiling but I've always felt it's not anything to do with poor social skills but a lot more to do with the effort on their part uh, and they've chosen to do that to be more vigilant and mm-hmm. think critically all the time There's, it, it drains out more cognitive resources being vigilant right rather than just acting fast and thinking automatically and not really working with awareness that's true going with the flow seems to be the easier thing to do isn't it yeah yeah that's like your mantra go with the flow (laughs) (laughs) I know and actually you brought out a very interesting thing which is I I think this also plays in uh, having the courage to you know stand apart and look at things objectively uh, rather than uh, just going with the first thing that you hear or see try to look at it critically and I think for a for a person in uh, especially in user experience design that's very important right just because a workflow was designed in a particular way doesn't mean that it's the right way there's always scope for improvement and uh, especially for user experience people right keeping the customer uh, front and center of everything that they do is important because at the end of the day you 
are serving, the, you are designing or building something uh, to address the needs or solve the problems of that customer. So I think these points, when kept in mind, will help uh, user experience researchers and designers not fall into the trap of these biases. Yeah, I think that's a great way to show the importance of how all these supposedly boring researchers, you know, maybe gathering dust in the libraries are actually not as boring. They can be so helpful, at least in the present day of software development or creating products. These behavioral psychology and study of human behavior patterns are becoming more and more important in our field as UX researchers or uh, UX designers, right? So uh, thanks a lot, Chitra. This was a great episode of another uh, cognitive bias, the illusory truth effect. And stay tuned to the Edge podcast. We will be back with another episode of studying a new bias next week. Until then, focus on being more rational. (laughs) Well, that is something easier said than done, Jyoti. But thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Chitra. Please subscribe to the Edge podcast on your favorite podcast channel. We are on Google, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and more. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. If you have stories to share and want to be featured on our podcast, write to us at podcasts at adepticlabs.com.